Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he wants to know, why was Renan 6 afraid of Renan 7? It's Matt Morgan. You know, Joe, I spent a lot of time outside and uh, I didn't get sunburnt, but much like my favorite orange soda, I am sun-kissed. I, you know what? I'm glad that you didn't get burnt. It's the opposite situation for me. I just go straight to the burn. It's like I'm playing mono red whenever I try to go out into the sun. Oh, I, I get that feeling like blessed spirits are, that's what my kids are going to look like when I grow up. Indeed. Up next, he knows that perpetually is a magic mechanic now, but he's trying to tell Wizards of the Coast that it doesn't have to apply to spoiler season two. That's Dana Roach. I, I'm just surprised Matt missed the setup for the Ren 8-9 joke there, but uh, he did. Uh, I know. I, 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 I heard it, but it's so low-hanging fruit. Like <laughs> sure, that, That's enough. more like a Ren and 4 type of height. <laughs> oh, Okay. Because because four comes early and it's smaller and younger. So, Well, I mean, we're clearly referencing the preview cards we've already started getting from our fall Innistrad sets, which I think are Vampire Wedding and Werewolf Bat Mitzvah, I believe. Um, so, yeah, that's we're already getting leaks for that. And the never-ending preview season is never-ending. The never-ending preview season is indeed never-ending. The l- preview season is dead. Long live. <laughs> right. Oh, man. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. <laughs> EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the EDH RecCast, what we like to do is give all that data a little more context. Hey, Dana, what is the topic that we're talking about in this week's episode? Uh, we're going to be talking about cards we love to play against. Yes, we are. Guys, I'm I'm really excited for this one. These are the cards that when we see them across the field from us, not in our own hand, not the cards that we're playing in our own deck, but when we see an opponent play them, those are the cards that still make us go, oh, that's so awesome, or the cards that make us like rethink about what's going to go on the battlefield. Just cards that we love playing against because that's what Commander's all about, is playing against cards and having just a joyous time. So it's going to be a whole bunch of fun talking about those, but Real quick, before we get to that topic, let's pause and give a huge thank you to the folks at the Command Zone who handle the post-production work on our podcast, and we want to thank our sponsors. The Idiot Trackcast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player that are pretty much the only two places online I buy from so often my bank never has to contact me and say they've seen a weird <laughs> transaction on my credit card. Uh, just go to EDH Rec and click on the card in question, choose the vendor link down below, and doing so supports both the site and the show. 
And if you'd prefer to support the show directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash edhretcast. We have patron tiers of all sorts of levels. We have patron-exclusive content that comes out every single month. So make sure you head over to patreon.com slash edhretcast to support the show. We have a very special tier, actually, where we thank a patron just for being a patron, just for supporting us. So we'd give them a very special shout-out every single episode. And this week, we want to give a very special thank you to Tim Cummings. Tim, thank you so much for all the support. Appreciate it so much, Tim. Okay, fellas, now let's dive into our topic here. We're talking about cards that we love to play against. When they are played by an opponent, they still make us really, really happy. It just becomes such a great occasion. There's like a celebration that happens within the game. Maybe I'm overstating it, but basically, I just want to get with the vibe here that like Commander is fun, not just because of what we're doing. You know, like Dana, I'm sure you've had plenty of times where someone else plays a card and you're like, oh, wait, that does a what now? And it just totally makes you completely reevaluate the game. And it just becomes such a, a really awesome time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and that's like I, I kind of broke the cards down that I like into kind of rough categories. And that was one mm. of them. That was cards that can be used in really creative ways. And when I see someone use a card against me in a way that like I didn't expect or that I wasn't ready for, that always makes losing feel way better when you when you see someone do something that you just weren't ready for and it's super clever. Oh, totally. Yeah. And it's so nice to hear that you put all of the cards that I play in your list. Like right. That. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's that's exactly what it was, Joey. It's all it's a tribute to Joey. The sugar list for Joey Schultz. Uh, yes. Very, very much. And then Matt, I'm also, I'm like positive having played with you so many times that there's also great moments where you see cards and you're just like, oh, like, I think that that's exactly the sound that you make when someone else plays a card, that, even if it's wrecking you. <laughs> that probably is the exact sound. Yeah. But like, I, I mean, if you, if you're not playing cards that you enjoy or, or make you feel these fun things, like why play magic gathering in general like it's all about like having those experiences and like i love playing against cards that just lead to those memorable experiences the, the, the gotcha type of cards um i mean as much as like i hated it um when we played with crim the asian avenger on twitch.tv slash edh retcast um he played so many just random cards that just <laughs> i wanted to be mad but it was such a fun <laughs> moment that he hosed me over and over again so like those are the types of decks that i just i love playing against I also remember exactly those moments. He played a card like Wrong Turn, which switches control of your creature to not even him, but to someone else. And it still completely hosed you. You're right. There's a bunch of cards along that ilk. So guys, let's get to some examples. Dana, let's start off with you. You mentioned categories or you can mention specific cards. Tell us about some stuff that when you see an opponent play it in EDH, it makes you really happy, excited. What is a sugar card for you? So so one thing I really like is I like command to play against commanders that feel strong but they also feel like the person playing them has to do things. They have to play properly and build the deck right and and maybe get a little bit lucky even to really exploit that strength. Um, it feels like I'm fighting a fight, but it's a fight where my opponent is also fighting back against me and like one of us has to outmaneuver the other to get that advantage. Um, and I'm not going to – I don't want to turn this into a, a salt score discussion and talk about commanders I don't like. But there are some commanders where when you play against them, you feel like that last scene in The Matrix where Neo is just like <laughs> effortlessly swatting away bullets without trying. <laughs> sure. That's what it feels like going against some commanders. No matter what you do, they can just – without having to expel any energy, they can just dominate a game. Um, 
I like playing against a strong commander that feels like the person I'm going against is earning that power. And off the top of my head, I can think of a couple um, decks against uh, that you guys use. Uh, Matt's Valduke deck is strong, but it's a mono red deck. And Joey's, I guess, you have a Martin Stromgall deck that's the same way. It's mono red. Mm-hmm. There's a power cap there, but they're also strong commanders. Like you guys can take over games and win them. But I also feel like whenever that happens, you've done something to put yourself in that position to win. Uh, my, my friend Max from Commander Central has a couple of decks like that. He has a Dragonlord Dramoka deck and a Brago deck. Brago's really strong, so is Dramoka. But I, I always feel like when I lose to those decks, it was because he put himself in a position to win and did something like to kind of show off to do it. He had to play the right pieces and do the right things to get those wins. I like playing against those commanders that make me feel like my opponent outplayed me and outmatched me. I like what you said there. There's something of a flourish to it. And I think that that's also kind of cool. Like there's a skill that is being demonstrated there and it doesn't feel like the cards are playing the game for you, right? Exactly. That's 100% how I would phrase it. Yeah. Well, and and, and my first kind of category of cards too kind of builds off what Dana just said where my category of cards is just, I, I love seeing obscure cards that synergize really well with your commander. Um, kind of mm. like what I hinted at earlier, like why play commander if you're not going to use your commander in some cool and, you know, creative ways. Um, Dana, your veto deck is chock full of cards that fall into this category. Like I still couldn't tell you what Simulacrum does um, (laughs) because the card itself doesn't tell you what it does anymore. Right. Uh, right. But like cards like that, just like people have never seen them before, but you found some really cool card off Scryfall that synergizes amazingly with your commander. Like those are the types of cards that I just, I love seeing like Krim again, like had just, a great decks that are all about, you know, how can we make this silly, weird interaction happen based around my commander? Like it's, it's so fun to see some of these obscure cards that they do incredibly well with those commanders. It's just, it's fun to see. And specifically, I actually want to go back and clarify it because some folks probably heard you say the word simulacrum and they thought you meant solemn simulacrum. No. And no, it's not solemn simulacrum. We all know the sad robot. We're talking about the spell simulacrum, which is a black instant that like... I would read the text, but the text is not what it's been errated since then or updated. And the Oracle wording is different than the actual text on the card. But it's this weird life gain swappy thing that Vito is able to take advantage of. And it's definitely one of those cards that you like when you see someone play it, it makes you lean over and go like, I'm sorry, what'd you play? Wait, what does that do? Oh, it's like it's just such a cool moment to encounter that kind of thing out in the wild in a game of Commander. No, I, I fully agree. I just love when I see somebody who finds that secret weird piece of tech for their commander deck and it's a little corner case and it's a kind of card that, you know, technically speaking, maybe you could find something strictly better for that deck. But when they use it and it pops off like that and it, it like blows up in your face and you were completely not ready for it, <laughs> that's just the best way to lose to something clever like that that just comes out of the blue. Absolutely. Yeah, a, a good example of cards that like I've tried to put into my own decks that fall into this category is Glare of Subduel in my Miri Weatherlight Duelist deck. Um, it's just a great way of, A, I get to tap down Miri so that her defensive ability kicks in where only, you know, everybody can only attack me with one creature. But I'm using Glare of Subduel to tap Miri for free. 
which turns on the ability, but then also it taps another creature. So I get to choose what the best creature is on the battlefield and make sure that's not attacking me. Like that type of synergy is just something very cool that I love seeing other players find in their decks. Another example that strikes me here when you're talking about uh, cards that have such weird, kooky, direct synergy with the commander is the card Academy Manufacturer, which I just, I love that card so much, whether I'm the one playing it or someone else is playing it. It's that three mana artifact creature from Modern Horizons that if you would make a treasure a food or a clue instead you make one of each when you see that in a deck like magda brazen outlaw who makes a bunch of treasure tokens naturally and then that synergy just triples up the stuff like there's no way i can be mad about that value that's so much value i'm so happy to see what someone's about to do with that because you are bopping off well i i I just here's a good example I, i just had this happen in a game tonight um i was playing with with dan and rachel from commander sphere show we just had on EDH Trekcast um, stream on Twitch TV, such EDH Trekcast. Hey. Um, but it was in a different stream with them, and Rachel was playing her Octavia deck, who costs eight less to cast for each instant or sorcery in your graveyard. Um, it was, I think, turn two when someone went to ramp and cast like a Nature's Lore. Dan copied the Nature's Lore to also ramp himself. He copied it with like, I can't remember what it was, uh, some red copy spell. And then Rachel cast Brain Freeze. <laughs> Which is an instant where target player puts the top three cards of their library into their graveyard and it has Storm. Yeah. And she, so she milled nine cards on turn two, eight of which or seven of which happened to be instants or sorceries in that deck. <laughs> she dropped Octavia on turn three. What, what do you say? Like, you can't get mad about that. That's awesome. O- Octavia's not that strong of a commander anyway. I mean, it's cool, but it's not crazy powerful. Brain Freeze is a, not a great card. Brain Freeze is a perfect. Yeah. Oh, that's that's hilarious. It was a perfect situation. You cannot get mad at that. Like that's a I will absolutely lose to Octavia and, and she won the game. <laughs> but yeah, I have no problem losing to that kind of play because like it was a confluence of of you know kind of obscure cards and a a commander that isn't busted and a perfect situation and yep, that that just happened. I mean, in addition to the commander sphere, just podcast being awesome and enjoyable and everyone should definitely check them out i mean rachel and dan's decks in general just i i love the way they build so yeah hearing that story like yes you you may lose to those decks but like they're fun in the process they're doing crazy things that like you don't get to see in other formats which is why we're all here playing commander to begin with all right so i'm gonna shift us from a category where you guys were talking about like oh here's some stuff that maybe we haven't seen before and there's cool synergies a category that i have to shout up here that i love playing against i love seeing it but it is one that we're all familiar with but i don't care because it's just such a beautiful blowout when it happens a category of cards that i want to shout out that i love seeing across the table from me in commander is just cool fogs. Whether you're talking about arachnogenesis preventing damage and making spiders for you, or ink shield preventing damage and making inkling flying tokens for you, or a personal favorite, illusionist's gambit, which I love to play and I love even more when I see it because it forces you to attack someone else completely instead of the person who cast that spell. Cool fogs are just such a great moment in any game of Commander where there's this tense of like, do they have it? Do they have it? Oh, they had it! And then it completely reshapes where you thought the game was going to go. You can totally stop some huge crater hoof behemoth type of attack step just right there in its tracks and then reset the game for a cool follow-up the next turn. Cool fogs are just, just one of my absolute chef's kiss favorite things to see in Commander. I mean, you said arachnogenesis, and so contractually I'm obligated to agree with you uh, (laughs) because that's one of my favorite cards just in Magic. But yeah, like 
these types of cards lead to so many just crazy moments in, in games I've played, whether with you guys or with other people. Um, I mean, Joseph Johnson, I think, has played the most <laughs> gnarly ink shield of all time when he came on our stream. Mm-hmm. I mean, how I think he made 42 inkling tokens. Like, these cards all are just, they lead to such massive, massive swings. When you think somebody's about to die, nope, they're about to win. And it doesn't, it honestly doesn't even have to be like the very super special ones. Like I have a really special place in my heart for those cool fogs plus an additional effect. But I recently played a game with EDA Trek writer Lenny Woolley, who's just a joy to play against. And he had an actual regular, the real card fog in his deck, just the one mana green prevent all damage. And it was such an enormous blowout that stopped me from winning the game on the turn that I was swinging out for lethal on everyone. And it completely scuppered me. And I ended up losing that game because of just the one mana fog that I didn't expect him to be playing, but he was, and it totally wrecked me. And I was so happy about it because I'm just like, who plays fog? Well, he does. And he did an amazing job with it. And I was just like, dang, you got to show respect to that. Well, one category of cards I kind of have here that overlaps with this is something that's not expected in the colors you're in. Hmm. You know, you talk about fog being green, it almost always is, but it isn't always. Like Deflecting Palm is not. And particularly if you're talking the genuine fog effect, black has darkness. That's a fog in black. White has, is it Holy Day, I believe, and white that does the same thing. Those are almost even better when you're like, oh, there's one black mana up. I can alpha strike and you get hit with the darkness or one white's up and you get hit with that Holy Day. Like it's it's that much more dramatic and insane when you get hit with the off color effect that you're not expecting because they weren't so concerned about the color pie back in the day. So there's, you know, a handful of these spells that trickled through. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, that's always an amazing way to get bombed by something that you are not ready for in that color, especially. Well, well, Dana, I'm going to steal a card from your show notes, actually, and and put another card in here. Um, Aether Spouts has led to so many crazy moments where you look at the blue player like, well, they don't have seven man up. They don't have Cyclonic Rift. They don't have that. So I think we're good to swing, right? So they do, and it's Aether Spouts. And that just totally wrecks it because not only is it a fog, but like like Joey said, it's a fog with upside. It bounces all of their attacking creatures. Like it leads to so many crazy moments. Well, Dana, you just mentioned the card Deflecting Palm, which is that Boros card that if someone hits you with a big damage source, then you can send it right back to them. There's also Rakdos versions of that effect. They're slightly different. They don't necessarily prevent the damage, but they do stop the creature from attacking in the first place. Those are the cards Backlash and Delirium. They're three mana Rakdos instance that you like tap down a creature and it deals damage to its uh, controller equal to its power. So that's another cool way of turning someone else's strength into their own biggest weakness. And it turns into one of those classic, oh, why are you hitting yourself type of situations? And those can be huge blowouts, especially if someone has just bumped up to like some 50 power commander or something like that. Well, it turns out now it's going to hurt you right back. And those can also be just as fun and unexpected and just like totally cool when you see them. Yeah. And, and they're also just like, you just are not expecting that kind of thing in those colors. That just always feels good. I mean, that, that kind of gives me a new goal is to find a way to kill somebody with commander damage from their own commander. That seems like something, um, well, something interesting. Uh, now, w- wait a second. Commander damage is only combat damage. So I figured out, figured out, Joey, <laughs> figured out. <laughs> okay. Uh, So there's another category of card that I feel like we absolutely have to shout out here about things that make us really enjoy just like, oh, when we see it across the table, this is going to spice up the game in cool ways. 
We've got to shout out the Monarch, right? Like, this is one of, I think, the most favorite mechanics for all multiplayer games. Like, whenever I hear Commander players talk about, hey, what's one of your favorite things? It's definitely the Monarch. Putting the extra card draw that you can only steal from other players by attacking them, that is injected so much awesomeness into games of Commander that some pods even start with a Monarch token in the middle uh, of the table just to see what happens. Like the first blood is going to get it and then it will pass around because it really can energize a game. The Monarch cards are really, really cool. And so we got to shout them out here too. Uh, absolutely. I, I know Dana, when we last reviewed Monarch cards was kind of lukewarm on them. But even if you've watched our stream, like Dana definitely falls into the trap of, well, this person has the Monarch. I guess I'll just attack them. Like the, what it does to <laughs> yeah. games and just people's thought process in general. Like I love the Monarch. It's probably one of my favorite mechanics what it does to multiplayer games it's just i whoever thought of monarch just they deserve a high five <laughs> yeah in in the way the mechanic works too you really can't game it too much like it, it's just a bit of chaos in the game where someone draws a card and it's it's tough to really kind of a quote unquote cheat that mechanic and have it only work for you we've all seen that howling mine show up in a deck where the person has some some tech to tap it down so no one else can draw off it or whatever oh you sure. just you just can't do that with a monarch right it's it's just almost always going to be a thing that even if you can gain control of it you have to worry about someone else taking it away it just becomes very difficult to ha not have it be something that is just a little bit unpredictable um, and yeah, I, I like that a lot. I agree. There is something kind of interesting to me. I feel like the Monarch cards are extremely well liked, but not very well represented in the data on EDHREC. Like the most played Monarch card, uh, not counting, you know, Queen Marchesa, like the Monarch commanders specifically, but like in the 99, the most played one is Court of Grace, which is the white enchantment that makes you spirit tokens. Or if you get to keep the Monarch, it will make you angel tokens kind of slowly. That one shows up in like 8,000 decks, which is like, I guess kind of okay, but I wouldn't have expected that to be the most popular one. Like I think Regal Behemoth is a way more interesting card, but that one only shows up in like five to 6,000 decks, which I feel like is a pretty low rate. So even though Monarch is so well loved by the community, it does feel like the kind of thing that could show up in a whole bunch more 99s more often. Well, I, I know Regal Behemoth isn't necessarily a cheap card anymore by any stretch of the imagination, but like oh, true. the first the first time that, that Monarch really came out, it wasn't really in a terribly popular set. So when they revisited it in Commander Legends, like it had so much more exposure. And of course, the game has grown, like the player base by itself. Like there were so many more people playing when Commander Legends came out versus back when Conspiracy or Conspiracy 2, was it? I forget. <laughs> um, but yeah, back back when we first saw Monarch, like the Commander player base just wasn't near what it is now. So I'm, I'm glad that more people are being ex exposed to Monarch. Um, it's, it's just a fantastic mechanic. And I do hope they re keep revisiting it when we have these multiplayer focus sets. I also think it's one of those spices that can overpower the dish if you use it too much. Like, mm -hmm. I think it's cool to put a, a Monarch card in, in your deck, but I also think hmm. most people don't want three or four of them either. I think there's a, there's a natural cap in how many decks or how many Monarch cards you just want to have in general. That probably hurts its, its overall representation compared to some other cards where you're going to just see people, you know, put multiple versions of that same thing on their deck. It doesn't seem like Monarch works that way. People will just have like that one Monarch card in their deck and, and that's really it. So I'm wondering if that doesn't keep those numbers in check a little bit. Well, and hey, you know what will help you keep the monarchy for longer? Interesting fogs. I'm just saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm just saying. Well, speaking of of things that are are in colors you don't expect, talking about fogs in that way, any counterspell that happens not in blue 
<laughs> yeah. I never feel bad about getting domed with something, <laughs> you know, wh- whether it's Imp's Mischief in black or you have things like Lapse of Certainty in a white or even Red Elemental Blast in a red. Yes. I mean, you're just like, you're just like well, yep, you got me. That's how it works sometimes. Like that always feels like a, like a great way to have a spell countered because you are almost never ready for that. Yeah, Lapse of Certainty, a three-mana white instance counter-target spell. If that spell is countered this way, put it on top of its owner's library instead of into their graveyard. So they will get it next turn, but sometimes that one-turn reprieve is all that you need. And especially, I've seen this cast off of like a Sunforger before, and that's just so crazy unexpected. But it's really, really powerful. And then, Dana, you mentioned Red Elemental Blast. I love Pyroblast. Those are cards that I will use in my Feather deck because they are also additional spell casts, and one of them I can just target Feather regardless and get another Aetherflux Reservoir trigger, I guess. But like, I also love having it in my hand, but it's not just that. I also love seeing it played against me. If I'm about to cast a Cyclonic Rift and someone Pyroblasts me, I deserve that and I love to see it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not very often that somebody just pops out of the corner with an Avoid Fate playing those green <laughs> counter spells either. So yeah, like if you're catching people off and like metaphorically catching them with their pants down, um, yeah, it's, it's always super fun to see. Like I know, Dana, you've, you've hosed me with Lapse of Certainty a couple times actually. Yeah, I mean, that card is is really good in the right deck. And Joey's hit a Sheldon Mentory once or <laughs> twice, I think, with a Red Elemental Blast or Pyroblast out of the blue. Oh, yeah, yeah. Die, Muldrotha, die. And Villainous yeah. Wealth for 20? No, thank you, ma'am. Absolutely not. Yeah, and that's if you were going to lose a spell to a counter, um, you know, Mana Drain, you're always like, oh, really? But when you <laughs> lose to – but when someone mana ties you after you <laughs> tapped out – for that court of calling or whatever, and you're like, Manatide for one? You're like, oh, no, yeah, you got yes. me. I mean, I saw a Manatide that got cast at, a, at my shop this week on someone's turn two. I think it was Nature's Lore. So I was like, I'm going to ramp on turn two in green. They're like, Manatide? <laughs> like, oh, wow. You got to get value all you can. Oh, yeah, man. that was great. I probably, if that would have been a negate, I probably wouldn't have remembered it. But because it was a mana tide, that was fantastic. That is really, really silly. This is a whole bunch of fun. And I'm sure we've got tons of other cards that we want to get to as well. But guys, how about um, right now we pause and do another one of our favorite segments? How about we challenge some stats? There's so much data on Idiotrek, but, you know, we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think that cards see too much play or too little play. So we like to challenge the statistics to see what else is going on behind all of the data. Matt, start us off this week. What is your challenge? Well, don't forget, everybody, Challenge Stats official sponsor. We do have one, um, altersleeves.com. So if you want to check out all of these nifty altar sleeves that we do have um, exclusive to EDH rec folks um it's pretty great um make sure you head over to altersleeves.com slash edh recast um and you can pick up all of those awesome officially sponsored challenge of stats picks um with all those altar sleeves so anyways i will go first with my my challenge so this week um i'm picking up on a new card that i'm seeing overrepresented i think um and that card is lazatep chancellor so that is a blue and a black for a zombie wizard that's a one three and it reads whenever you discard a card you may pay one generic mana and if you do you amass two so this is currently showing up in 32 percent of zombie decks out there and i think that number is too high now Lazatep Chancellor is very, very good in the most played zombie uh, tribal deck commander, which is Verena Lich Queen. Um, but that's also because of Verena Lich Queen reads, when, uh, whenever you attack with one or more zombies, draw that many cards, then discard that many cards, and then you gain that much life. Uh, so when your commander is just naturally enabling a whole bunch of discard and giving you just a great way to pay that mana and activate Lazatep Chancellor, I think that's a very fine card. But we're only seeing about a third 
of Lazatep Chancellor's inclusions coming from Verena decks. The rest are just showing up in other places that can't really reliably discard cards to trigger Lazatep Chancellor's ability. Mm. I just don't think it's really worth investing because you have to spend more cards to make the Chancellor worth running. I don't really think it's a build around card. At least I don't think the effect's that powerful. Yes, in Verena decks, it is absolutely powerful. It's currently showing up in 55% of Verena decks that have been updated since Modern Horizons 2 Electric Boogaloo came out. <laughs> and I think that's a fantastic pick. I think it's a great card for that deck, but I don't think for zombie tribal decks in general, it necessarily is. Is. So, yes in Verena decks, no in every other zombie tribal commander deck. Electric Boogaloo. I love it, Matt. I also have an overplayed pick here, or at least a rules situation that I do want to use this opportunity to kind of uh, help players. Like, I didn't realize it at first, and if there are other players who had the same situation as me, I want to help them out too, because Rondis Rage of the Ancients is a very strange card with some very strange tokens. This is the new Gruul commander from the precons in AFR. So it's a five mana, five four dragon barbarian with an actual enrage ability. Whenever it is dealt damage, you create a five four red and green dragon spirit creature token with when this creature deals damage, you sacrifice it. And also if you roll dice, then you can have Rondas deal damage to itself to make more of those tokens. So once again, those tokens say when this creature deals damage, you sacrifice the token. That's a pretty powerful token at 5-4, like that's really cool, but it does have limitations if it deals damage, and it's not even just specifically combat damage, but that does make it just kind of awkward when it comes to, for example, cards like Atarka World Render, which is a dragon that gives your dragons double strike. They're not going to be able to strike twice. On the first strike hit, they'll have dealt damage, and then they'll go away, and they won't be there for the second strike. Or a card like Scourge of Valkas, that also says that when dragons enter, they will ping someone. And then the dragon will go away because it did damage. It wasn't not specifically combat damage. The dragon did a damage and now it has to go away. So those are like really interesting cards. Just be aware of. There are some dragons like Terror of the Peaks where Terror of the Peaks specifically is the one dealing the damage. But just be very, very aware of the fact that that deals damage trigger forces it to sacrifice makes it kind of a weird nonbow with some very, very popular dragon cards out there in Gruel Colors. It's really weird, but just be aware of it. Our last card here has uh, been suggested to us by Patreon supporter Original Ross, and it's Alpha Status from way back in Odyssey. It's an aura for two and a green. It says Enchanted Creature gets plus two, plus two for each other creature in play that shares a creature type with it. And uh, Original Ross is basically suggesting this for Marwyn the Nurturer decks, but probably any tribal deck you're running that has small bodies and goes wide could take advantage of this. Um, I think Marwin in particular, though, should see this card way more often. It's in just 2% of Marwin decks. And uh, for those who don't remember, Marwin is an elf that you put a plus one counter on whenever another elf enters the battlefield. So it's almost always an elf tribal deck. And Marwin taps to add green mana to your pool for each for, for Marwin's power. Oh. So number one, you're trying to get Marwin big by casting elves to make a gazillion mana. And number two, those elves are going to power up alpha status to ridiculous levels. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think people sometimes don't like to run auras in non-enchantress decks because they're tough to protect and you can't reuse them like equipment. But like in a deck like Marwyn with a bunch of elves, if you can use that one time for three mana and, and make you know, 18 or something, <laughs> let alone if it's six round multiple turns. Um, and then maybe even swing through an alpha strike somebody to death with your commander. Um, 
It's a really, really good card in Marwan in particular, but probably a couple other elf decks or even maybe, you know, a green-blue merfolk deck, something along those lines. There's just a lot of places this card should show up, and right now it's only in 851 decks in EDH rec. I, I would say in part that's probably because it's so old, it's 18 years old and it's never had a reprint. And it says each creature in play. So, like, if you're searching for elf cards for your elf deck, you probably don't find it. Searching for merfolk cards, you probably don't find it. So, I think it slips between the cracks for a few reasons. But it definitely should show up in more lists for sure. I'm a little – that's a card that I would also be absolutely overjoyed to see across the table. If you turn yeah, Marwyn yeah. into, like, a 50-50 and then you tap it for 50 mana because of the – that sounds awesome. Like, I'm a – I'm just going to put my hand down on the table and I'm going to start applauding you. Like, that sounds like so much fun. Oh, dang. Okay, that seems like a great transition back into our main topic. So, Matt, let's pass it back to you. Let's keep talking about cards that we really like to see across the table from us. What's another thing that strikes your fancy whenever you see it in a game of EDH? Well, I have another category of cards, actually. Um, So I just like cards that they don't stop people from playing the game, which is a very unpopular type of category, but Mm. cards that maybe um, punish them um, or give them a choice at least to suffer those consequences. Um, We were talking actually uh, in our moderator chat for our Discord, which is exclusive to patrons, by the way, which (laughs) patreon.com slash EDHRECcast if you would like to join. Um, But we were talking about how, you know, some people play Mass Land Destruction, which isn't really a terribly popular type of, of card. Um, but Price of Glory is a type of card that I actually I love playing because it gives people a choice. It's not straight out destroying everybody's lands, but it's saying, hey, if you really want to counter this spell, it's going to cost you a little extra. So Price of Glory is two and a red for an enchantment that says, whenever a player taps a land for mana, if it's not that player's turn, destroy that land. So it's not just a straight Armageddon effect that just is destroy all lands. Um, it's giving people a chance. And a lot of people, it's not really going to affect them that much. But it's if it's making sure that everybody's kind of playing on a little more level playing field. Now, if you happen to be playing it next to like Titanic Protective Argoth, where you want your hey. lands to get blown up like Joey does, hey. um, then yeah, it's, it's just a free way to blow up your own lands. But just a whole bunch of cards where it's not stopping people from doing anything. It's not stopping people from attacking like propaganda effects or, or ghostly <laughs> prison where you just can't attack unless you have an exorbitant amount of mana. Um, but, you know, play Arachnogenesis. Play those good fogs that Joey loves so much. So you're letting them attack, but you're also you're just punishing them for doing it. And also you're getting some sort of a reward, like rewarding yourself for players going above and overextending. That's also just another type of card that I, I love seeing because it's not stopping people from playing. It's not, you know, rest in piecing Joey and his graveyards and all that stuff, hey. but it's, it's punishing them for doing it. I, I think that there is a, okay. Oh man, do I, I, maybe I shouldn't say this, but yes, there is a substantial difference <laughs> between playing against a rest in peace that completely exiles all of the graveyards and shuts me down forever. There's a difference between that and playing against a scavenging ooze, which can pick off individual things in the graveyard. I hesitate to say this because Matt will never let me hear the end of it, but <laughs> playing against a scavenging ooze, that's interesting interplay. It's actually yes. fascinating when okay. you're playing it. Even when I'm playing against it, I'm just like, he got the scoos. Let me see what, oh, can I do that? Mm, maybe can't. <gasps> maybe I've got this. Like, it becomes very interesting to see whether I can get through that. And that is, 
That is fun. It's fun to play against that. It's not fun to play against Rest in Peace. So Matt, stop that. But I will I will admit to you that even, even a scavenging news, I shouldn't have said this. Matt's never gonna let me hear the end of this. I, I will <laughs> never let you live it down. But but you are right. Like I love the back and forth play. Like it doesn't just straight up shut you down like Rest in Peace does. Like you're limited on how much mana you can use. And like there's a gameplay dance almost that you have to kind of go back around. Like Joey's thinking, do I go for it here? He's got that one green mana up. Like, do I have a way to to do something in response like it creates some really interesting gameplay situations um if you're playing around stuff like a scavenging news where it has to be activated there's mana restrictions etc like it yes like i i think that's a, another good comparison there and the price of glory like you said also because that one doesn't stop anything but it does put a cost associated with it that like you are still in control of. So I can see how that can be like, that's going to do something to the game. And Matt, you're right. If I did see that across the field from me and I was playing Titania, I'd be ecstatic. Well, an example that popped up just, just in a, in a streamed game again with Rachel Weeks, she was playing a, um, Borbrigmos Enraged deck that wants to discard lands to do damage to people. And I was holding a Rakdos charm in my hand to exile player's graveyard Mm. But all three people were kind of doing things that cared about the graveyards a little bit. And it wasn't enough to make me hit one of them. I wanted to hold that for the opportune moment. And at some point, she drew a light from the loam and was starting to use that. I'm like, oh, her graveyard can go away now. <laughs> like She doesn't need to be <laughs> discarding a gazillion lands and getting a bunch of them back. So I, I, I hit it. But I had to make that choice. Like that forced me to 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 be cautious about when I use that Rakdos charm versus just dropping the rest in peace and be like, I'm just gonna em- empty all the graveyards and not have to like think about it at all. Um, now, like power wise, it's probably better to just have the like the hammer that smashes every single thing that you're trying to smash versus mm-hmm. the little tiny you know archaeologist hammer that gently <laughs> taps in the right location. Um, but it's a lot more fun sometimes to play with that precision tool and have to make those decisions. Well, and actually, you just mentioned Rakdos Charm there. The Exile Graveyard effect is not the only text on that card. I also right. like seeing right. people play Rakdos Charm to kill the token player because it makes all of the tokens deal damage to their controllers. I, I don't know what you're talking about, Joey. I, I think the, it, it just says Black, Red, Exile, Target Player's Graveyard. Yeah. <laughs> no, those are great. Charms are an absolutely awesome thing to see because sometimes they've got weird text that's just mm-hmm. like, wait, that two-mana spell just killed me? Holy crap! I didn't know it could do that. And that's also just another great, joyous moment. Yeah. I want to go to a another sort of sweeping category here. And this is just, I guess it's kind of combat trickery would effectively be the phrase here. I love when I see the card Disrupt Decorum played to goad all of the creatures. I like watching the absolute manic just craziness that ensues after that point. But it's like, that's a big example. But I also like seeing like a duelist's heritage in play where when someone attacks, that person can maybe get double strike on their creature from the person with the duelist's heritage and the controller of the duelist's heritage can take advantage of it too. Like that also creates a new dynamic to gameplay. Or Dana, your absolute favorite specialty, the card Berserk is a great one that you love to play to pump up anyone's attacking creature and give it trample, just straight up double its power, and the creature will die at the end of the of the combat. Like, messing around with other folks' combat, that is really, really fun both to do, but also to see, to just, like, I like watching those dynamic combat steps in a multiplayer game. It's rad. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's an extension of that would be cards that are both versatile and versatile enough to allow you to to do surprising things with them um 
you know, those situations like I've, I've seen people, you go to steal someone's creature with a control magic or whatever, and they can't stop it. But what they can do is cast Oblation to to get rid of their own creature that you were going to steal anyway and draw two cards. <laughs> like that's not really the purpose of Oblation. It's not supposed to be kind of a white's alter, alters reap, but it can be if you are in a situation where you're going to lose your creature anyway or someone casts a board wipe or something. Sure. Like that always feels really good to have happen to you because you're like, yeah, that person just saw this little narrow thing and they were able to make it work to their advantage. Well, I mean, cards that are modal, but don't actually say that they're modal like Berserk, right. like Oblation. Like right. those cards are always super fun to see. Like I, I know Berserk is is a little pricey, but mm. um, stuff like Duelist Heritage, like yeah, like it it you think okay, well it's going to give my creature double strike on my combats, but then when you remember like you can give other people's creatures double strike, um, you can turn into quite the political tool. So I I love cards that have different modes, even though they don't actually say we have different modes. Well, and if you've been playing Commander for any amount of time, at some point you've seen somebody um, in the middle of getting like hit with alpha strike damage by a creature with lightning grease on. Hmm. You've seen someone swords to plowshares their own creature yeah. to put themselves out of lethal damage range. Like, I can't kill your creature, but I can kill my own and I'm going to do that and I'm going to gain eight life when you only have enough damage to kill me at what you thought I had. Mm-hmm. Um that always like when when someone does that to you and you're like okay I'm gonna split my attackers up and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be greedy and I'm gonna you know this person that I should make sure I kill I'm not going to I'm only gonna send like these three attackers at them and I'm gonna send these four at somebody else and they're like you're gonna get punished because I'm gonna source the plowshares my own thing and be out of lethal range your my, my response is always like yeah you got me I got greedy and you got me absolutely that 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 is something that I never mind losing to. Here's a specific card that I want to bring up, particularly because you had kind of brought up a, a duality and a, a not, I guess the word is maybe like a politickiness to it. But Dana, you introduced to me the card Psychic Possession, and I've been obsessed with it ever since. And whenever you cast it, I get so giddy to see what's about to happen. That's the four mana blue aura uh, that you enchant an opponent. It makes you skip your own draw step, but whenever that opponent draws a card, you also get to draw a card. So, Dana, you've put this on me when I'm playing Feather the Redeemed, and it made me very afraid to cast all of my cantrips because then suddenly you were also going to draw a bunch of cards for all of the work that I was doing. But, like, I was so excited because I didn't know what this card was and because it turned my threat into also your threat into a way that the rest of the table was, like, it was such an upheaval of, like, our understanding of what was about to happen in the game. And that was just such a cool thing to see from just some random four-mana aura that only shows up in, like, 780 decks. Well, in you know, is Ristic Study and Mystic Remora better? Yes, probably in most situations. But... How many Risk Study games can you think of, Joey, where someone played a Risk Study against you and you're like, wow, that was super cool. Like, <laughs> I've none. never seen that before. Yeah. Right. yeah exactly. But you remember Psychic Possession because it was such an oddball thing and you're like, this really affects what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I, I, I remember the first time I played that card, I played against a, a friend of mine who has a Kess deck and I played it against him and he read it and then put it down and then like picked it up again and read it again <laughs> and put it back down. Like, he did that like three times. And then he just leaned over and showed me his hand. And it was like brainstorm, faithless <laughs> loot. Like he had like four or five different like small mm-hmm. cantrips that you like to see in a cast deck because you can recast them. That's all he had was draw spells. <laughs> He's like, yeah, well, what do you do? 
<laughs> well, and, and, and how many times has like a Ristic study made people change their play patterns? Right. I mean, they just pay the one and they, they yep. move about their day. It was psychic possession. Like, like with that Kess player, like it didn't stop him from casting those, but like it punished him a little bit. It made yep. sure he like it changed the way he was going to play out many of his turns. So, yeah, I, that's just another card that I, I think falls in the category I was kind of talking about where like. You're not stopping people from playing the game. You're just benefiting from it. You're punishing them a little bit and you're just having a good time. Here's another one that I want to shout out to because it's just sly and subtle in ways that have just totally won me over. Liquid Metal Torque is a mana rock from Modern Horizons 2, Electric Boogaloo, according to Matt. It's just two mana tap for a colorless, but it can also turn something into an artifact if you want the politics that are available with that subtle, small little ability of like, oh, you know, someone's about to play a Reclamation Sage. Well, I can turn their creature into an artifact if you want to kill it. Let's team up. Like those small things, just a tiny nuance that's just right there in your mana base, just being all innocent looking. That's also just so cool. Like when I see a liquid metal torque, I'm like, hmm, I smell a stunt. Something cool is about to happen here. Well, and I'm actually running it in an equipment deck I have that's... Um an Azorius equipment deck, so like I can destroy artifacts and enchantments really easily in that deck. I mm-hmm. don't need to run Liquid Metal Torque to turn them into artifacts. However, there's things in that deck like um, Padim Console of Innovation that gives all your <laughs> artifacts hexproof. Oh, whoa! Okay. So I can I can just use that when someone goes to remove one of my things, I can turn my thing into an artifact to give it hexproof. And I've done that. I mean, I've had it in the deck not very long. The deck's only about three weeks old, and I've probably used it four or five different times to stop someone from removing something with mine because I've been able to give a hexproof. That's so cool. If you if you got me good with that, like that's an onboard trick that I still probably wouldn't be able to suss out immediately. Sure. Like, yeah. If I were to try and remove one of your things and you were just like, I'll make an artifact hexproof, I'm just like, clap, 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 dude. Like that, you, I didn't even see that. That is such a cool synergy. That That's delightful. And, and there's a lot of cards that kind of do similar things uh, that, where, where you can find ways to just, to just, tweak those dials like in, in a way that you might not even plan to to use the card that way, but you're holding it in your hand and the situation just unfolds in front of you and you're like, oh, oh, wait a minute. I can do this. <laughs> like that, that feels good. And when someone else does that to you, it doesn't feel bad either. The last kind of broad category I, I would use here is alt win conditions um, that aren't variations on Lad Maniac. Um, oh, sure. Because, and nothing against that as a win condition, Thassa's Oracle, Labman, Jace, whatever it winds up being. But like that's something that you see very, very frequently. Um, a lot of the rest of the alt-win cards out there aren't nearly as frequently played. And when someone out of the blue like kills you with an Atempsis or something, or a Strixhaven Stadium is a, is a fairly recent one we, we got. Um, yes. That almost never feels bad because there's a significant amount of work that usually has to go into making that happen. And, like, the fact that somebody pulled that off almost always offsets the fact that you're out of the game. Like, they did something interesting to make all those pieces come together to kill you. And it's really at least hard for me to get upset about that. You're like, oh, yeah, you did it. You got me with with Atemsis. So, congratulations. Atemsis is so cool. Hit someone, reveal. If you've got the requisite mana costs, it just makes that player lose, like, that one's it feels like you're playing Exodia. That's how it feels when someone <laughs> wins with an attempt. I'm like, yes, that's awesome. Well, and, and like Dana said, like there's so many hoops that you have to go through to get that win. Like you're just like, oh man, like, yeah, you you got me. Like it I would rather like every single time rather lose to an attempt's ability 
than a turgid who casts a smallpox. Sure. Like 100%. Yeah, sure. Like that, because they both effectively do the same thing. Just one is official, but one is also like very difficult versus one is you cast a spell with your commander out. So a last category that I want to highlight here too, that I also just absolutely love to see is just like a hyper commitment to the theme. So for example... I forget that cards like zombie apocalypse exist at all, which is a sorcery that like destroys all humans and then brings all zombies from the graveyard back onto the battlefield. I've played against our patrons in our Patreon discord. We've got some game finder channels going on in there. And one of our patrons, Jorge played zombie apocalypse in a zombie tribal deck. And I was just like, Oh, first of all, congrats on the reanimator. Love to see the reanimator. That's awesome. Best strategy. But also I just forgot that that was a card, but it makes so much sense in that zombie deck that I just absolutely adored seeing it. Or I've played against my stepdad's Rin and Sari deck. And I forgot that he's using the card Sets Tiger in there, which is a cat that effectively gives you protection from stuff and is a great fog. And also Rin and Sari made him tokens along the way. Like those types of tricks that are just such huge dedication to a theme, you, you gotta love it. Like when someone's gone that ham to making some cat tribal or zombie tribal, or if it's a horror tribal or an ooze tribal or whatever, the theme also just makes my heart smile. Yeah, extreme devotion to a certain like theme or strategy and having some sort of payoff to do that. Um, it, it's always something super cool to see. Well, I, I just, I have a friend of mine who has an illusion tribal deck um, and he just played it last week. And I, I believe I tweeted a picture of it. Um, he, we were playing with two people who hadn't played against him before, and at some point he dropped a Palancron, which is a very <laughs> old, powerful card from Urza Saga that has a reputation as being almost always a combo engine. And the other two players are like, oh, so are you just going to win? Do you have the combo? And he's like, no, I don't have a combo. It's just an illusion. <laughs> like that, <laughs> it's, it was, it's literally in his deck. He has no interaction with it beyond the fact that it's an illusion and there's not a lot of them, so he's got a Palancron in the deck. Like, and I forget that Palancron's an illusion. Yeah, I just see right. this big bird in the sky artwork, and I forget that, yeah, that's that's an illusion. So, yeah, that's the kind of thing that would also slip my mind. And when reminded of it, I'd be like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, like, you know, and, and everyone just laughs then. Oh, that's an illusion. Okay, funny. Like, that changes every uh, change everyone's reaction to seeing a Palancron. So, that's been a whole bunch of cards that we like playing against. And I guess I just kind of wonder if we've got any final thoughts or maybe through lines that we noticed about the cards that we enjoy. Matt, were there any things that stuck out to you about the cards that maybe you enjoy or even the cards that Dana and I said that we enjoyed or just stuff that you wish you saw more of maybe in Commander? What are your final thoughts about cards that you love to play against in EDH? Well, I think a, a very common theme across every single tidbit that we shared, all the stories we shared is like all of the cards that led to it, like they led to a memorable experience. They led to something that was fun, that everybody enjoyed. It wasn't a, a miserable experience slogging through a game that got drowned or dragged down, but it was these big explosive moments or these crazy plays that happened that led to that. So just, I, I just love cards that lead to those memories. Like I, I couldn't tell you um, what a game was like against the last time I played, you know, a, a Grand Arbiter deck, but some that played some other wacky, silly deck. Like I remember those moments. Like I remember games from uh, when we went to Magic Fest Kansas City several years ago at this point, I remember some of those types of decks that just led to some crazy plays, some very memorable moments. I remember those, not just the, the run-of-the-mill, good-stuff type of decks. That that makes sense. Yeah, when we played against uh, listener Josh Swope's Farchild deck, for yeah, example. Yeah, exactly. And all of the crazy stuff that was going on with the tokens that were given away to people, that sticks out because there was so much cool interactivity there. And th yeah, I'm totally with you. Uh, Dana, any other final thoughts that you want to share about cards that also make your heart sing in EDH? Um, yeah, I, I would say just in general, almost all of the cards that I like seeing and in ways I like to lose to, to a deck 
are what I, I feel like the person is, is being creative in some way. And hmm. I, I don't want anyone to interpret that to mean if you don't like brewing or finding things, I don't like playing against you. Like some people don't enjoy that aspect of the game. They just want to find a list that works and they want to play mm-hmm. it. Totally get that if that's your thing. Absolutely. But but one thing that, that I take extra joy in when I build a deck and play a deck is I like to have it feel like it's something that is expressing some form of creativity on my end. I've figured this weird interaction out or I've, I've figured out a way to make a deck work in a fun way or find found an interesting theme or whatever. That's something that's important to me as a builder. And when I see someone else do something that feels similar, I take equal joy in that. I feel like they're mm-hmm. doing the same thing and it just makes me appreciate the experience that much more when someone else is is getting the same thing out of the game that that I love so much. Well, and not to get super philosophical here, but I, I think a good takeaway to kind of sum up what you just said, Dana, and I think kind of our, our attitudes in general is build decks you would want to lose to, like that can build yeah, those yep. those fun little, you know, moments that they're not run of the mill. There's something special, but like, okay, yes, I lost to that, but that was so cool. Like, I, I can't be mad because <laughs> right. like it was just a fun game. Like, I think that's a great attitude to have, and I, I might just adopt that. Um, so you're welcome everyone <laughs> <laughs> no you're you're absolutely right because i mean statistically there's four players in the average bot of a commander you're gonna lose more often than you win so ways of enjoying losing are valuable it's always good to have the mentality but like there's also ways that people totally earn the victories that are just like that that was stunning i can't believe you pulled that off every time that i talk with folks about you know what is their ideal game of commander look like the things that they tend to say are i want your deck to do the thing and i still want to beat you you know, like, and right. I want to yes. see what your deck does because you put your heart and soul into it. So I can't wait to see what it is. I'm still going to get you, though. I'm still going to make sure that I overtake it. But like, that's such a, a fun thing to be able to see when people get to do the thing. Making decks that you would also love to lose to. Matt, I really like that takeaway. Guys, this has been so much fun. I'm really in the mood to play with Commander. So what I think what we need to do right now is probably call this episode to a close so that we can shuffle up and play a little <laughs> bit later. So thank you guys so much for joining me. If our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDHRECCast. We have guests on every single week, so make sure you tune in. Um, the guests are awesome. They're always super great. They're always super fun. So make sure you tune in because that's the real reason, not, not for us. <laughs> oh, man. And Dana. You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. I'm writing articles for both EDH Rec and for Commander's Herald once a month. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDH Recast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. And you can find the cast at EDH Recast on both Facebook and on Twitter as well. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRECCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast. And we want to thank our sponsors, TCG Player and Card kingdom.com and you can visit altersleeves.com slash idiotrekcast for cool custom idiotrek sleeves and support the show listeners we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights but until then remember idiotrek your deck before you wreck your deck